0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Rice People podcast. On this show, we talk to the innovators, creators, and thinkers doing some of the most interesting things in Asia. I'm Adil, and this is Wong Lei.
1: We dive into their journeys, learn how they think, and cover why they're doing what they're doing. We hope to provide you the inspiration and insights you need to forge your own journey. You can access all our podcasts, including edited transcripts, show notes, and other resources to keep learning at RisePeoplePodcast.com.
0: Our guest this week is Luna Javier. Luna is a game designer, a craft manga instructor, and a jump rope enthusiast. She is also the co-founder and creative director of Altitude Games, a gaming studio based in Manila. Her team developed popular free-to-play mobile games like Kung Fu Clicker, Dream Defense, and Battle Races. These games have been downloaded over a million times on the Play Store alone, and we are super stoked to have Luna on the show with us today.
2: Welcome to the show, Luna. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to meet both of you.
1: Yeah, so um, maybe we can start with what made you decide to pursue a uh, career designing games? And, and ultimately, what led to you starting Altitude Games? Because I think in one of your sharings, you said that you actually didn't know Unity when you first started designing games. So yeah, so what made you come to this? Wow,
2: you dug deep with that research that must have come out (laughs) when like one of Altitude's first blog posts, Oh no, what have you read? (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I actually ended up in games by accident. Uh, When I started, there were no games courses in college the company that I joined right after college was actually the first Filipino game studio ever. So nobody was doing it before us, before that company. And I didn't want Mm. to be in games. I was trying to get into film. So I thought if I got like a 3D artist cred in this job opening that I saw in the paper, I could go apply to Pixar and be a screenwriter. And that was my dream in college. And um, I... So I got into this company as a 3D artist. I lasted about two weeks. They said my 3D art (laughs) was terrible. But maybe I could write instead because they saw on my resume I knew how to write. So I ended up writing for the role-playing game that we were making. And that was the first computer game ever made in the Philippines. And I, yeah, so I had no idea. Like We ended up being pioneers for some strange reason. And I fell in love with writing for games and designing games it was just so much more creative and interactive than than film which is where i wanted to go at the time and fast forward almost 20 years later i ended up starting altitude games with two other people from that pioneer team um gabby and mark so they're my co-founders plus two other people that we had worked with also throughout the years we started altitude because we wanted to make mobile games and do our own thing. We had spent, um, since we all started at about the same time, we had spent you know, the time making games for other people. We wanted to make games for ourselves. And um, yeah, it was a great decision. And seven years later, we're still here. So I'm pretty happy.
1: <laughs> nice. So
0: you, you mentioned about how you initially had the dream of doing film and then now uh, moving into games and mobile games. I think you mentioned that you had some uh, prior skill sets in like writing. But how how did that uh, set of skills transfer over, right? Was there some overlap in the skills needed or some similarities that allowed you to quickly adapt to the new space you were working in?
2: Well, I was lucky because I studied communication arts in college. And so um, our training was, you know, doing film, um, radio. I had theater experience in, in grade school, high school as well. And so... Kind of like media, entertainment, creating stories for people. That's something that I was familiar with. But when we were in that first company, none of us knew how to make games, right? Because we couldn't learn it anywhere. It wasn't it wasn't an industry. So we really just learned on the job. We got books from, um, from the U.S. We went to conferences. Um, you know, the internet was around, but not the way that it is now. Uh, and we just learned as we went. The game that we made was... Okay, it's not great. I mean, but it's a first try, right? Um, and it's the same even now in altitude like. So, uh Wong Lei, when you saw that that uh, deep dive research article that we didn't like I didn't know Unity, that was because the previous companies that I had worked for would have their own like game engines. And so we wanted to learn Unity. So if you need to learn something, you just learn it. That's kind of how we've approached, like how I've approached life is, I guess I don't know how to do this thing. So I'm just going to learn it. Um, That's how I learned.
1: (laughs) Um, And I saw that you're also the creative director for Altitude Games. So I'm really curious. So like, what would your day-to-day be like? What would your role be like?
2: Sure. So um, creative director means that I'm the head of the game design team. So I have... Um, seven game designers now I think and uh, so they all have the different game projects and so my day to day is really uh, just checking in on them making sure that you know if they need um, consulting with me on their design decisions and then uh, a lot of biz dev so if I need to pitch something to a publisher or if I have meetings um, I do that as well and then there's a lot of thinking about strategy so um, thinking about okay, so how do I train the designers? What assignments can I give them? The um, like what which tools should we be looking at to, to move on to the next like piece of software that we can try as a team? And so it's more high level decisions for the game design team and the game design across all projects. Um that's my current day to day. It used to be Altitude Games was so small that I would still be designing games, like I would still be on a team, you know, in Unity, actually making something. But thankfully, we've reached a status where the game designers under me are actually pretty independent. And honestly, I don't have much to do anymore (laughs) because, like, they 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 (laughs) they, they'll ask me sometimes what I think, but it it doesn't matter. Like, they can they can design games without (laughs) me at this point. Uh, And so to try and be useful it's really just thinking of okay so what's the next assignment I can give them and and the tools and and attending conferences and doing these things uh, I wouldn't be able to do these things if I was still you know really a dev m- making something chasing deadlines mm. that kind of thing so it it sounds more boring I realize I mean it's <laughs> I'm, I'm still making games right it's just that there are people that you know that actually do them more than me. That, that's terrible. That's a terrible answer.
0: <laughs> so do you do you like actually miss like the hands on aspect of the job, like back when you were actually building more stuff yourselves, compared to I guess the role today is more about empowering others to do things.
2: Uh, that's exactly how it's like. And actually, the joke in the executive team that we have is that I'm banned from using Unity. Um, because like they know that if I can use Unity, I will So, for example, um, if we need to prototype something So, I'm right now, I'm on the hyper-casual team So, we have a hyper-casual, um, like, branch of Altitude And we're just making games And, and I'm, I'm kind of being their, like, product person right now for that But when we were starting out, like Oh, there's a thing that needs to be fixed I'm just going to open Unity And, you know, just, just fix it a little bit Or like, oh, you need ads? I can just record I'll, I'll play it and I'll record And I'll, like, edit it and put music And then the executive team is like You know, you're not supposed to do that anymore You have people Like, the the team should do the things you're doing So mm-hmm. they have banned me from Unity um, I, I do miss it sometimes But there is a real joy In empowering other people to to come up with their own decisions and come up with their own mistakes. That's something that I had to learn as what a creative director really does. It's not my job to to be there on the field anymore. My job is just to coach from the side. And if you train your people well enough, including the hyper-casual team, they're just knocking it out of the park right now. If you train them well enough, like they'll be fine. They'll be able to make the decisions on the field. And you're just kind of like on the side, like cheering. So yeah. Um, I, I, I don't miss it that much, uh, it's it's okay.
1: I feel like Out um, to Games has come a long way from a very small team to, to right now. What were some of the challenges that you actually have to overcome when you were building the team up?
2: The, the most obvious challenge that we had would be experience. So the, the bad thing about being in the pioneer team is there's nobody more senior than you. So um, we <laughs> had to hire like a bunch of fresh graduates, for example, um so when we started you know I was the only game designer uh I think there were 7 of us when we started maybe and we all worked on the same game together it was still us founders like making the games and then as we hired up we had to f- either find people who were se- senior enough which means we had to get from other companies because our industry is very small here Or we had to train from from scratch. And we actually ended up doing a lot of that. We would hire fresh graduates or people who were not from the industry and train them. Um, And that's how we got the seniors in the company now. Most of them have been with us since the first year or the first two years. Uh, So that was tough. Obviously, we can't just scale up. Like if we get a new project now, we can't just be like, we're just going to hire 10 more people. Like we don't know where to get those people. Hiring Mm -hmm. takes... Months ahead of time, like we really need to plan, and then we do tests, you know, and interviews. So, scaling is, is still a challenge, but I'm very grateful that the people that we have gotten ha- are still around and they're still with us, and they're, they're very good at what they do. So, they've been teaching the juniors, like, we can get more junior people and, and teach them. Um, and then the, I guess the, the other challenge would be just being in games in general, it's a very hit driven industry, so it's, it's mm. like film. in that that you can have like the best script and the best hollywood actors but it's still gonna bomb at the box office because you have no (laughs) idea what the box office wants at that time and games are like that in the sense that we can plan as much as we like and test as much as we like but there's no guaranteed formula that this game that we spent six months on or one year on is going to hit it big right and if if we could do that, I would be super rich right now, <laughs> and I'm not. That. <laughs> um, so that's still a challenge. It's just trying to make the right decisions, knowing that you can't be validated as much until it's out in, in some shape or form.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's quite a long feedback cycle. Like, you, usually, what's the uh, product development timeline or the span of time you guys take to develop a game?
2: It depends on the type of game so i would say a, a general like mobile game let's say an idle game that we make um maybe like six to eight months is fast already mm-hmm. but we work with publishers who do usually market research very early on like they'll kind of uh, get the validation as as early as they can like they'll you know uh do a survey with their user base they'll you they'll do a b tests with ads and things like that for hyper casual which is our our newest uh thing the cycle is 1 week it's insane so it's wow. it's wow. so much oh wow. yeah it's so much fun being on that team it's just like <laughs> we're just prototyping all the time um so yeah it it depends really and then the blockchain side which because we have yeah. a blockchain team as well that one takes much much longer um like like years uh, to to get out but then um because it's very community driven uh you can get like feedback from the community and and they're like active every day and so you get to talk to your users directly so that's also been interesting to see
0: yeah i i guess you guys have many ideas of games uh through your brainstorming and stuff like that in the company but how how do you evaluate which ideas do you want to invest time and money in right and and which ones aren't
2: that, that's a really good question. You have to do serious market research to kind of know. So for example, if I'm pitching to a publisher and let's pretend the publisher says, just pitch an idle game, any idle game, it doesn't matter what it is. So I have to research, okay, what does the publisher want? What do their users want? What's their portfolio like? What are the top games right now? And, and why are they in the top? charts Mm -hmm. Uh, so the the more that you know your user base the the better your pitch will be and so if we do pitching sessions within altitudes for example we've done this before where a publisher will request a pitch and then anybody in the company can pitch so Kung Fu Clicker came out like that actually Um, and it doesn't have to be a game designer it can be anybody so a bunch of people will pitch and the executive team will be the ones to ask like okay so you know how do you think this will go in the market right like it's what kind of user are you targeting so we'll do uh personas where okay who's your target market uh secondary like tertiary markets and the the more that the person who pitches understands what the the game is like as a product uh the better the pitch will do so it's not like oh you can't be creative or anything Mm. like that obviously like Ideas that have never been seen before or really interesting or mm-hmm. ideas that people get excited about. So you can read the room usually, at least we used, when we used to have a room before the pandemic. <laughs> but you can tell when people are excited over over a concept. And yeah. we do the same thing in our hyper-casual team, except the cycle is much shorter. Is We'll pitch to the whole company. We'll put up like... Uh, a very quick mock-up or or three and then people will choose like which one do you like the most and then people get excited over one thing and that's also important it's not just the business side of will this make money but does the team like it because if the team doesn't like it then they're not gonna like put their heart into the work it's not gonna look nice and if you look at our portfolio uh, all our games are very very strong in terms of the joy I I know that yeah, sounds yeah. really cheesy, but you can tell like we had a lot of fun with them, right? These are yeah, the yeah. games that we wanted to make. Uh, so yeah, I, I hope that answers your question.
0: Absolutely, I think even watching some of the trailers for like Kung Fu Clicker and stuff like that, it's just I don't know. There's just I, I guess the only word I can describe it is like fun. Yeah.
1: I spent half my Sunday playing Dream Defense. Oh. <laughs> but yay. yesterday I was supposed to prepare <laughs> for this, I was just playing. Not <laughs> so challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, um, I want to ask, what defines a hyper-casual game?
2: Um, sure. So just a disclaimer, we're super new in hyper-casual and we haven't released anything. It's just kind of like our little lab, you know. Um, but from how we understand hyper-casual, they're very short experiences for non-gamers. So the top hyper-casual games usually look nothing like the games that maybe you or I would play on our phones. There'd be games like you're just slicing cake or you're, you know, like painting nails or like something like it. But it's a universally understood and accepted experience that if you see an ad for it, a non-gamer random person who has never played a mobile game before would play that. Um, So it's a really mass market experience very quick easy to learn usually you can play it with one thumb um, the levels are less than a minute long and they're really like mass market adoption and so they're the, they go very quickly up the charts they don't last very long usually uh, but the more viral it is the funnier it is the, the better it will be kind of played and, and and be popular so I guess that's that's how we understand hypercash now
1: I see. So, what made you guys decide to venture into these these games?
2: Well, it was um, it's really us betting that this market is worth being in. It's kind of how we approached blockchain gaming. Also, we got in there pretty early, um, when it still wasn't like a normal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like people didn't know what that NFT was, and we already had like an NFT sale. I know that yep. NFT is the buzzword <laughs> yeah. now, but we're like, oh, yeah. we knew this in twenty eighteen. Um yeah, yeah. But it's the same thing. Cause back then we we had a little team that, you know, kind of played around with blockchain gaming to see what we could come up with and it's the same now for hyper We have a very small team uh, we're we're testing a few ideas uh in the market to see what sticks. It's really a bet that okay, if we can learn this and be good at it then maybe we can make it big. But most of the company is still doing like the mobile games co-developing mm-hmm. with publishers. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of like our little strike team side project.
0: Yeah. I, I guess in terms of uh, skill set to venture into these different types of uh, uh, verticals would be a, maybe require a different type of skill set or experience, I guess. And, and I, so when you're venturing into these new areas, how, how do you guys like level up or you know acquire the necessary knowledge to excel there?
2: again we just, just do it we just learn <laughs> like, I, we were just like literally hyper casual was me googling uh, <laughs> like what is hyper casual and just embedding myself <laughs> in it for like three months um, and like it's really like there's Again, that's the problem, right? It's it's a little bit better now because there are conferences that we can go to. So I would go to these conferences. Like I went to blockchain conferences as well when it was new. You know, you take all the notes, you meet all the people, you kind of pick their brain over Skype or whatever it is. Uh, and and we did the same with HyperCasual. Like I attended all the talks and took the notes and called all the publishers and you know, um, and just try to learn as much as you can. And then there's no better way to learn how to make a game than to just make it so we just made it and it was pretty yeah. awful and then <laughs> we just kept doing that until it's okay now um like we're better now but but yeah you just you just go in
0: right yes you were mentioning like today you know nft is like the name of the game it's on everyone's lips and and everyone knows about it but you guys had uh your battle races out back in like i think 2018 was uh, mm-hmm. you know yeah back then like the only nft was like crypto kitties right mm-hmm. and it was mainly within the blockchain community and uh, it didn't really penetrate to like normal uh, how do i describe them normal people i guess <laughs> Normies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah 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 Yeah. so so i guess yeah what you know gave you that prescient thought of like thinking of doing this so early and yeah what what helped made you understand like this could be something of value in the future basically yeah, I- how, how did you see this early? Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, all the credit for that goes to our CEO, Gabby Dizon, um, who was, uh, uh, again, one of the, the people I worked with way back after college. But he got excited about blockchain very early. And I remember it was a very stressful conversation when he told us, um, I think we should all go into blockchain. And we're like, what? Like, why would we, we're a gaming company. Like, he's like, no, I think this is, defi-. like, it, it was fun. Um, because now he can say See, I was right uh, <laughs> But yeah, at the time yeah. He's like, no, we're doing this We're going to have one team Just, you know, figure it out uh, So um, we, I remember we went to A, a Nifty conference um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in Hong Kong In July And that's when I met other blockchain people And they were all like Making blockchain games Specifically Like that was oh. interesting to me Is Is how do you Design a game that maximizes like blockchain technology, and yep. there were very few of us. Obviously, everybody else was like, "But you don't need the blockchain for games." Like, I don't understand why. You, why would you put your assets on the like, and everything? But we're like, "No, this is fun technology to play with." Um, and so, Battle Racers was very early—not not one of the earliest. There were still like a lot more other uh, blockchain games coming out. But because we were a game developer first and a blockchain developer second we Mm -hmm. really worked on the gameplay very early we had a beta up very early where people could play it um and so we're like the game is still around now they're still like having weekly tournaments and things like that it's super interesting to to see our experience and what makes a good fun multiplayer game right merge with okay but then how do i make money from the assets that i'm Playing around with, which is kind of like what the, the play to earn like crypto model yeah, is, yeah. right? But uh, I think you can have both at the same time. Like it doesn't always have to be just about uh, the money and flipping these NFTs. But it's also, what can I do with these NFTs and and why is this fun for me? Like why do I want? So basically, it's a we have like a racing game where you can build a car made out of parts, yeah. right? And so why do I want this car over that car? like if you're a collector, maybe you're getting that car because it looks nice or it's, you know, it, you can flip it, it's expensive. But if you're a gamer, you're going to look at the stats of the parts of that car and kind of see, okay, mm-hmm. so how can I put this together? How can I race and upgrade this? And and we're introducing a bunch of new features um, coming soon as, as well in the next couple of months. And, and so it's, so I think, again, like hyper casual, it was a, a bet. It could have gone either way. Um, mm-hmm. And it didn't get traction immediately it was really a long game and so i am grateful that we we stuck around and our community stuck around uh and and now we're finally seeing the fruits of our labor because the the discord community literally used to be me saying good morning to nobody like every day (laughs) good morning happy monday and then there would just be like nobody (laughs) and now we we actually have a community manager and mods and like you know like like it's 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 a real community now but back then like i was i was telling gabby like why am i the discord person like this is not (laughs) but again it's you know you have you have to do the work right like there's nobody else who could do it i'll do it um but yeah so it paid off i think i hope it's paying off (laughs) actually
0: for just for people who may not have context on like blockchain and NFTs how do you marry the gaming and the blockchain together and what what is the additional value it brings right to to the entire gaming experience and uh, both on the digital world and maybe just on the collectible collectible side of things
2: sure know. oh boy i'm going to try to <laughs> see if i can summarize yeah. it it's, it's 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 always a difficult question so yeah. when when I used to explain it to people, I would go back to things like um, World of Warcraft, right? Mm-hmm. So if you had a World of Warcraft uh, character that was maxed out, you had all the best gear, you could play it, um, but you didn't own the character. The character would be owned by Blizzard. It lives on their servers. If for any reason they decide to shut the game down or the servers like burned or whatever, you would lose everything that you made. Yeah, so, so basically for for gamers, uh, what the blockchain gives you is it gives you ownership of the things that you're playing with and working mm-hmm. on. So that means that these characters, these items, the gear that you collect, uh, these things you can take out of the game and sell or, or trade. Mm-hmm. And sure, like people have been doing this before, kind of like illegally or maybe like a yeah, secondhand yeah, yeah. marketplace. Yeah. Um But the blockchain, because it's automated, you could actually put a bunch of cool stuff. Um, So for example, uh, if I had uh, a sword from World of Warcraft and it was built into the smart contract that Mm -hmm. the original owner, which was me, would get 1% of every future trade where this sword goes around. Um, And this is why NFT art, is, is is a, is a huge yep, thing, yep. crypto art. is a huge thing right now because suddenly uh, something you own can be profitable long after it's not with you, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were looking for investment of your assets and kind of earning from this hobby that you love, then the blockchain is interesting. But there are also other ways to use blockchain technology. So there have been games, so our game doesn't do this, but there have been games that are built to use like the blocks of the blockchain, so like for example, mm-hmm. it will generate a dungeon, um, or like the enemies will be spawned based on the random like seed that is you know like wow. th- th- there's yeah. a bunch of cool stuff that you can do with this technology, and this technology just runs right, it just runs. So, um, I think that's the most interesting thing. F- for me, about blockchain gaming is if you think of it just like a platform, like it's a it's a PlayStation or it's an Xbox, right? It's a it's it's a platform. So what can I do on this platform? Obviously, if I had a PS4, I could do a different thing than if I had a Game Boy. Um, for mm-hmm. for us old people who know what the Game Boy is, uh, <laughs> or like with a computer with a different um, like input system, and the blockchain is the same. So what can I do with these smart contracts? How do they interact with each other? How do I interact with other players on the smart contracts? um yeah so th- there's some features of battle racers that uh, are very interesting i don't think i can talk about them mm-hmm. yet but they do use the blockchain specifically to kind of make your cars more interesting so oh, yeah
0: okay okay looking forward to that <laughs> but actually, back in those days i'm not sure if you heard of like engine coin like yeah, they also engine. do a lot of like like yeah, yeah gaming yeah. stuff right then i was like buying sorts here and there but i wasn't sure what's is the sort itself on the blockchain or is it just the record of it that I own?
2: Oh, that that goes into philosophy now, right? Like, yeah, w- yeah. where does it exist? Um, because cause some people are saying that about crypto art. Like, I can take a <laughs> screenshot yeah, of yeah. art. It's like, so So now do I have a copy? And technically, yeah. yes, you have a copy. But no, you don't have the original copy yeah, yeah. because the original copy is what's recorded on the blockchain. And, and, and another thing about blockchain gaming that I failed to mention is because these assets are not tied to a game, they're on the blockchain, yep. you can use them in multiple games as well. Mm. So we've had tie-ups with you know other blockchain yeah. games where if you own a character in this world, then you can have this kind of car. and like it, It's really fun to see all these game oh, developers work cool. together. Yeah. yeah, right? And suddenly, like my sword or my car or whatever it is, I can play in multiple games. And it could be a completely different thing in the, the other world that it's in. And um, and you own that copy. They, not a copy, but you own that asset. But as it goes yep, around yep. with you, it takes different forms. Um, so, yeah. So, I would say there is still one copy of the thing, right? To answer your question, there is yeah, one yeah. original thing, Um uh, mm-hmm and even if you screenshot it or record a video or whatever that's it's not the same
0: yeah, yeah i love that idea of like you know being portable across different gaming worlds like i guess i believe in the future of you know have you watched a ready player one
2: yeah exactly it's a- yeah that's that's
0: that, that's the future i want to live in right i mean besides the real world dystopia but the virtual yeah. <laughs> world i'm super excited for that and i'm <laughs> sure in the future like there'll be many worlds and we want to be able to bring our whatever gear we earn and all the levels we've earned along with us to the different worlds right yeah super cool <laughs> and, and and maybe just to touch on one last question about this space like I guess as someone building within this intersection of gaming uh, virtual worlds and blockchain maybe you can share with us what do you see uh, you know in the maybe next 5 to 10 years down the road how the space might look like and yeah, how this would evolve Yeah.
2: well I think I think because the NFT space is now becoming more mainstream um, mm-hmm. I would hope that in five years you know a lot of people have wallets like it, mm-hmm. the crypto wallet was the the hardest thing for people to, to understand just because the UX yeah. was so bad like you would know this right Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I can imagine because now there are phones that just come with crypto wallets or browsers that just come with crypto wallets. So imagine a future where everybody just has a crypto wallet the same way you would have Apple, Google Pay or Apple Mm -hmm. Pay or whatever it is that you have on your phone. And people understand what an NFT is because they own things. They own sneakers and cats and whatever it is that they like to collect and play with on their phones. And then these assets you could use in a mobile game that you have or a browser game that you have or a Steam game that you have and they're doing that now. Um, And it's a normal thing to own these things the same way you would own, you know, baseball cards and paintings and toys and Funko Pops and all these things. And uh, I would hope that in five years it would be a normal thing. And it's not like a buzzword but it's just a normal thing that, oh yeah, I totally got an NFT of my favorite. Like Singer, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. But Gabby would be the best person to ask, honestly, because I'm not as uh, involved in the blockchain side anymore. But I still believe in that kind of future. The Ready Player One future, I still believe in that yeah. too.
1: I, I want to shift a bit to ask about like a question as I've been thinking about is. What do you think is the value of games in this world? Wow. Like, why should games exist? <laughs>
2: so, so this is this is when my internet's just gonna disconnect. So I don't, I can get out of that question. <laughs> um, well, games have been around for like since you know the beginning of time, right? People like to play. Play is a way for people to connect with their friends. Like you think of the board games that you play with your family, mm-hmm. card games you play with your friends. It's a social activity that, that, that creates connection between humans, um, and then, regardless of what kind of game it is, right? So you, for example, I could make a single-player role-playing game um, like I, I, I was playing Fallout 4 for for most of 2020. Um, <laughs> and even if that's a completely fictional world, that helped me feel connected to this fictional world. Like it's, it is entertainment. Especially video games, mobile games, computer games They are entertainment But they're also art Like they have a chance to represent the human experience Let you experience other people's shoes Other people's worlds In a way that no other medium can do Just because it's interactive, it's immersive um, You have all the elements You have sound, you have, you have death, You have all these great themes that you can handle in games uh, And you can experience it and feel it Right? We're not even going into like virtual reality and all that stuff, but you have that yeah, too, yeah. right? Like It's the most immersive medium you can get into without being on stage with people, like it's happening to you. Um, and so I feel like now more than ever, when we're in a pandemic and it's very hard to connect with people, gaming actually just spiked up, right? Especially like multiplayer games, yeah, things like yeah. Among Us, yeah. um, like, and, and board games, word games, like they all... Uh, hit an all-time high because people are trying to connect outside their homes and there's no better way to do that than to play a game together and share this experience together. And, and so I think even long after this pandemic is over, um, gaming will still be a way for us to connect with each other, uh, dream, experience you know, the world, experience fantasy worlds and just make us realize what it means to be human, if that makes sense. Does that make sense at all? That's a very yes, difficult yes, question.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. I feel like games are even more immersive than books and movies because they give you decision making power. Yeah. 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 So, so then you're really leaving that, that story.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's, you feel like it's happening to you, and your actions affect the world around you. Right? It's as close to real life as you can get.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I used I to, used to, to play. play. Uh, FIFA every day. And then uh, I think in uh, secondary school, my teacher asked me, what, what do you want to be in a grow up? And I was like, football manager.
1: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, do you feel like there are changes or trends that are emerging in the, the game industry in terms of like people who are playing games, the type of games people are playing or why we are playing games, etc.?
2: Well, the the big buzzword of you know maybe the past Two or three years was hyper casual because what happened was non-gamers like people who don't identify as gamers and probably have never played a mobile game they are they would play these hyper casual games so for a while that was what everyone was talking about that was the new trend and mm-hmm. then with the pandemic what happened was more people who were non-gamers would search like best game to play on my phone um, and, and so now you have a conversion of even more people who didn't play games before, but because they're stuck at home, they started playing a mobile or PC or console, etc. And so gaming has been just like, it, it's, as an industry, it's doing pretty well. Um, sad to say, but it's been doing pretty well this pandemic. Um, so that's kind of the trend now, and especially the, the social. So there was a good talk about this at a conference recently where in places like China, so there they have like hangout rooms in these games where people mm-hmm. just hang out virtually and have nothing to do with uh, the gameplay itself but those are becoming so popular just because yeah, people yeah. want to connect right yeah uh, and and that's so like
0: that's like the the ready player one they have the waiting room after they enter the game yeah
2: yeah yeah but people are yeah. hanging out there on purpose yeah. That's why they're playing these games and and so I think that's the trend now is, non-gamers are becoming gamers because they're looking for something to do something to connect to their families and you know friends with and we predict that when the pandemic is over they're not going to stop doing that just Mm -hmm. because it's become a normal thing for them it's oh yeah okay so i'll play with my nephews you know with fall guys or Fortnite or whatever (laughs) it is that children are playing now i don't know um but um, they'll still do that it's just a new pastime that they have. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of what people are talking about in conferences. It's like social features and 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 keeping that up. Oh, and another trend that they saw is if you're a, a gamer, a mobile gamer from before, normally you have events on the weekends, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. this weekend has an event where you can earn this thing. And now it's no longer just weekend events. The events are all week because everyone's home. So it's not like your gaming activity goes up on the weekends. Yeah, Everybody's yeah. playing all the time now, um, so that's also a trend. It's it's really becoming part of, of daily life.
0: Actually, actually, I'm yeah, I'm surprised we haven't asked you this question. But for, are you yourself an avid yeah. gamer? Like, do you spend hours playing games? <laughs> I,
2: I do, but it's not the games that most people are playing. So, um, so for the longest time, I was a, yeah. So for the longest time, I was a PC gamer. And then um, when I started Altitude, I was traveling all the time. So I, I gave up a desktop for a laptop and, you know, you can't play anything on a laptop. It's just not, it's not worth it. Um, and so I became a mobile, like, of course, I had to be a mobile gamer, but now I play a lot of mobile games simultaneously. Uh, like all the dailies, I will do all my dailies. But at the same time, because of the pandemic, I'm playing a lot more on the PlayStation 4 as well yeah yeah um but yeah so the 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 playstation 4 the console i wasn't playing it as much because it requires so much effort to sit yeah. like so right now i'm playing the final fantasy 7 remake and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i need at least two hours right because the first hour is just people talking like they're just talking <laughs> and, and so um but i if i'm busy right if it's a normal work day and i'm so tired i don't want to like spend two hours anymore like staring at the tv and so that's why mobile games are great for me because i can i honestly it's this bad i will be playing a game on my phone and on my ipad at the same time like two oh different my games so, <laughs> wow just so i can get it through it, it faster that, that that's that's new that's like a 2021 thing but i figured out <laughs> how to do it uh, but but because of the pandemic, I have nowhere to go. Uh, then mm-hmm. I I started having these longer like experiences on the on the console. But I I play every day for sure. It's just like different games, different session lengths, like whatever. Yeah, it's it's all mixed up. I I'm probably playing like six games right now.
0: <laughs> wow,
2: <laughs> that's insane. It's it's a little. But crazy. it's okay. It's
0: okay. You can just uh, say you know it's it's research.
2: Yeah, it's work. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I guess now you're as in your studio, you're mainly doing uh, mobile games. Do you see any like challenges developing for mobile versus other types of platforms? Since like I guess you have less screen space and real estate to tell the story and uh, put things in context. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for for sure. Normally, mobile games are much simpler in terms of like being able to play it without understanding what the context is or mm-hmm. the story, etc. Um, but the real big challenge in mobile games is the competition because mm-hmm. there are hundreds of thousands of games on the App Store and the Play Store. Yeah. And so if you're not featured on the front page, you, you, no one will find you. Like, you just think about the number of games that are uploaded every day. You have to be featured or you have to be a big brand to get known, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so that's why when we work with publishers we're very lucky to have publishers that do like co-development with us in the sense that that we know that we can we can rely on their like user acquisition and marketing and knowledge of the market and their connection to the play store or the app store right they have those big guns that we don't have but we have you know these great developers and great ideas and and so we're kind of like feeding off each other in that sense um but really if we were a tiny indie developer it would be very hard to compete.
0: Yeah, 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 I understand. And and maybe you could indulge me on this question, but I'm just curious to understand like the game development process, right? Like within your own organization, how does it go from like ideation to sending it out to the publisher and like yeah, what's that process like?
2: Sure, so it always starts with a pitch. So whether the pitch is um, us approaching a publisher or the publisher approaching us. We have a pitch deck that we do uh, mm-hmm. where we kind of plan out, this is the game that we want to make, but this is also how much it would cost and how long it would take. Uh, and that's that's still mostly my job. Um, and then if a pitch is accepted or greenlit, right, if it's greenlit, mm-hmm. um, then we start forming the team. Um, and then there's pre-production, which is usually research, research. Uh, getting all the tools up to speed, coming up with like an art style guide, a game design document, like all the, all the legwork that you need to do yep. um, ahead of time. But Altitude is very much into prototyping. So we would prototype the game with really crap art um, very early, like as early as possible. Like we want to be able to play the core loop, which is like just one level, you know, with a bunch of characters. And we want to know it's fun, even though it looks crap and because if it does if it's not fun when it looks crap like it's just a bunch of cubes and stuff if it's not fun then it's not going to be fun once you put art in it Um, makes sense yeah so we prototype very early and then once we get those and we prototype pretty much throughout the whole thing but but we usually submit a prototype to the publisher and then a vertical slice so a vertical slice is like a slice of cake if you think about Mm -hmm. instead of baking the whole cake you you well you're an engineer, so you would know this, but um, instead of baking the whole cake, you just give a slice of that cake with with all the layers in so you can give a taste of what the full game would be and so the vertical slice is the prototype with all the art and all the effects, and it's all very pretty, but it's like one level maybe, um, but it's very polished, and here's a little slice of the game and We're all just validating, again, our assumptions that this game is going to do well. And we, from there, then we start scaling it up. So we're going into alpha. We usually do like early access on the Play Store, um, get initial data from from users and see where they're dropping off, like how long do they play, where do they die, things like that, Uh, when do they quit. Then iterating, iterating, iterating um, until we get to global launch. And so by that time. We've tested it a few times, um, gotten some data, trying to validate again those assumptions because you have no idea how the market's gonna go. Um, and then we're slowly scaling content. We don't wanna like develop it all straight up because it might suck. So we really have to prototype, test, iterate, make a bigger slice, prototype. Yeah, so that, that's pretty much it. Is you try to scale content slowly until you have enough content to launch with and, and try to validate with the market, like doing early access, you know. Um, things like that.
1: Was there a time where you
2: actually failed at designing a game? And
1: like what was the learning for you?
2: Fail all the time <laughs> <laughs> But but actually in hyper casual I can I can give a recent example. So in hyper casual the, the way that we do tests are very different. So publishers will test an ad for the game rather than the game itself. And they measure how many clicks this ad gets. And sometimes it'll go to a store and then they'll measure how many people installed the game but they don't care if they played the game or not. And so they're actually tracking how popular an ad is or a concept is. And so as a game designer, I always came from gameplay, right? Oh, this is gonna be a great game idea. Oh, this is so much fun. We would make a build. Oh, this is so much fun. Everybody's gonna love it. And then nobody installs the thing. And we realize that number one, what I think is fun is, is probably not what most non-gamers think is fun, right? Just because I, I'm i a gamer and these people are not gamers. So like just trying to figure out what they like. Like I'm the complete opposite of who they are. Um, but also like thinking in terms of ads first, what would look cool in an ad, what's fun and viral and and funny in an ad has nothing to do with what the game feels like when you play it. Yeah, They're not yeah, even yeah. there yet. They're seeing the ad on Instagram, right? And and so as a game designer, it really challenges me because it's a completely different approach because I like things that I can touch and play. And that's what I teach my game designers is you need to test it on the phone. You need to, to, to play it because ideas are always good on paper until you... Put it on a phone, and then you're like, "No, that that's yeah. that's not fun. That's that's crap." But we're not even getting there, right? We're not even getting to the phone. We're showing an ad of the thing, um, so every day I'm I'm challenged in hyper casual because I have to not necessarily listen to my instincts, but I have to listen to what the market says is good. So we started a new thing where we make these mockups, and before sending them to the publisher, I send them to Altitude. Because like, nobody pays attention to our small team. So there's like 40 people who don't know what we're doing. And so we would post these <laughs> mock-ups. And I'd be like, do you understand what this is? And people are like, I have no idea what's going on. And then we're like, what? <laughs> like, there's a ninja that's going up. At, like, what do you mean? Like, but, but you learn very quickly that your instincts are probably wrong. And that happens yeah, to me yeah. every day. like <laughs> In hyper-casual right now. Um, but, but that's the job. Right, There are game designers that design games for themselves, and I'm really happy for them that they can survive that way, like a lot of indie auteurs who are making their dream game, and they're, mm-hmm. they're fine with doing that, but we're running a company with 40-plus employees who have families, and so I need to make concepts that will bring in money to pay everybody so they can support their families. And so it's not about what I want, right? It's not about <laughs> yeah, yeah, what yeah. I think is, is fun. <laughs> um but will this translate to giving salary every month and i know that's kind of like a, a a boring business perspective but that's the biggest thing i've learned just from running your own company is is you have to design something that's fun for the people who are going to play your game and it's not mm-hmm. for you
0: yeah yeah well but that but it but brings a whole new understanding to me like in terms of people designing games right you have to since you have to make the ad sell first before you make your game sell, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah
2: we're we're still yeah, figuring out how to do it. To be clear, we haven't like, we haven't successfully launched a hyper casual game yet. We're we're still learning there.
1: Actually, I wonder if there was a time when like some negative feedback or something about the game that gets down on you, like weighs it weighs down on you. It's like I feel like really you have a lot of energy and you're really positive about games and all the challenges that you face, which they sound really intimidating. So I'm just wondering, were there any times that really like weigh you down?
2: Well, um, I, I try not to read reviews because that's the best <laughs> way to just get depressed. Um, that's a good advice. I, I used to, right? Like when we were a very small team, I would every day look at our Google Play reviews and see, this game sucks or whatever. Um, And then you try not to let that get to you. Even when we started Altitude, we had a bunch of haters. um, When we announced ourselves, and basically we we had investors uh, come in and invest in us. So we had a bunch of haters in the Philippines saying, "You don't need investment to start a game studio. Like I can, you can just go on Kickstarter or you can just make a game by yourself. Why do you need money?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" (laughs) It's like we we have employees that have salary like it's just so i i learned very early on that like there are people who are just going to dislike whatever it is you're doing yeah. like it doesn't matter so what i like to look at are the people who actually enjoy the things that we make and and that's probably why i can stay positive is because you know there are people like for example dream defense is a very old game it's a very very old game we don't even update that anymore it's just like dead in the water but people are still playing that game. We we don't do anything for it, um, <laughs> so it we must have done something right. That there are still people mm-hmm. playing it, installing it. Um, we like we have no ads, like nothing. It's 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 floating in the water. Um, but you know that gives me hope that the things that we're making mm-hmm. it just makes somebody happy. Like today, like someone's playing it out there today, and and that's enough. So that's that's probably why I just don't listen to the negative people <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: <shit. laughs> that's an important thing to remember yeah it's tempting <laughs> to read those things <laughs> how do you feel about gender representation in the industry do you feel like it's changing do you feel like there's an issue or actually there's no, no such issue in the industry
2: well it, it's definitely an issue it's better than it was before so when when I started in 2002 I was the only female developer on the team And then I went to another company where I was the only female developer on the team. And then um, now in Altitude, I was the only female founder on the team. Um, But there are much more female developers now in all aspects, like art, code, design. It's still not 50-50, at least from my experience and the things that I've seen. So if you go to conferences, it's still mostly male. And especially blockchain. Like, wow, Mm -hmm. blockchain conferences. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, whoa. (laughs) Um, But but it's better now. And it's also because there are young girls who are gamers right off Mm. the bat when they're very young. Mm. Because when I was growing up, the word gamer was a male word. Like, mm. I never yeah. thought I was a gamer. I was playing The Sims while my classmates were playing Counter-Strike, right, um, in college. And I was playing The Sims. I was very happy playing The Sims. But I was I didn't think of myself as a gamer because it was the male stereotype, right, of a gamer and mm. um, with the, the violent games and everything is brown and, and black and, like, the, the, the color schemes are like that. But now, actually, uh, I, I need to get back to you for the actual percent but i think it's at least 40 percent of gamers are now female Mm. um i think it might be closer to 50 with with the latest uh report and that's because of mobile games and hyper casual games and these non-traditional non-gamers who are playing games now right and and so if you have more gamers in the world right Mm. yeah yeah, then more people are gonna be interested in making them as as developers or they're raising children and the the, the the young girls see their moms playing games and they're playing games on their Nintendo Switch or whatever it is. And now they can take it in school as well, right? Because back in my day, we didn't have like game subjects and so now you have more girls enrolled in gaming courses knowing that they can make the games that they've been playing because there's no stigma for them that they're not supposed to be playing games. Everyone's playing games right? That's, that's totally normal now and so I've seen that year on year especially when I was teaching game design at university that my class used to be just a few girls and they literally said I'm only here because the other classes were full or I'm only here because <laughs> my boyfriend wow. is here Oh man. It's like, okay, and then then I would see students every year be like, I'm here because I've I've been playing games since I was young and I've always wanted to, to play games. And then the best the best compliment I ever got was I'm here because I played your game in two thousand two wow. and now like oh, I yeah. want to be a game developer. Like oh. I'm that old now. I'm that old now. Um yeah. but so OG, it's, OG. it's <laughs> but it's getting Bigger and bigger, like these the female developers in the industry. It's still not enough, right? You need everybody, like you need more women, and not just women, but like I think the more genders are represented, right? It's just gonna get better and better. The more younger people are interested in game development, um, and that also comes back to us making games that appeal to everybody, right? And that also comes back to us making games where different genders are represented, right? Um, different races are represented on screen so the players can relate to these people Uh, and I think it's just gonna get better and better and that's one reason why I do these things the interviews and the talks at conferences and stuff because it really matters to see a woman on stage or like just because if you if you see that oh okay there's a Filipino girl like on stage oh she runs her own company that's super cool I wonder if I can do that right so Yeah, that's kind of why I do these things too.
1: Yeah, I think it's really very true. Yeah, I just want to add that because I just attended a game development conference and there were six on the panel and they were all male. When I entered, I was like, wait, what? All male? Okay. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's me all the time. That's
2: me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: On to fun stuff, like, uh, we saw that you're also a Craft Manga instructor now. Uh, Yes. Yeah, what? I guess what what got you into this and uh, in doing martial arts and all these kinds of things?
2: Well, so so Krav Maga is a self defense system, and I signed up for it I think in twenty twelve because I didn't want to be afraid like of mm-hmm. you know there would be like muggings on the street or like attacks in cabs. It, it was a pretty dark time, um, and I live mm-hmm. in a big city um, here in the Philippines, and I was living alone at the time, and. Um, <coughs> So I didn't want to be afraid. So I took up a self-defense class. I took up a Krav Maga class. And I was terrified because I'm not... Like, I'm a nerd, right? I'm not necessarily, like, sporty or anything. Or I wasn't before. But I ended up really liking it. And uh, I stuck with it and ended up taking the instructor's course uh, a few years later. And it it, it actually goes back to the gender representation thing because when i took my first exam so like you have like levels like belts right yeah yeah. Um, but we call them like patches so when i took my first level exam i was the only girl in the batch (laughs) again um so so my partner for several years was was a guy who was about my height my weight it was okay he was very strong though um but (laughs) But it was that thing again that, you know, okay, so we need more. Like, we didn't have any female instructors at the time. So uh, me and a few other girls, we, we signed up uh, for the instructor's course. And, and thankfully, we, we all passed. So And now there are much many more, like, female instructors after us. Um, but that was important to me because, like, when I go and I teach self-defense to... Usually I would do, like, women's month seminars or companies or schools or... Uh, Again, if you see a, a girl, like a nerdy-looking girl, in front, right? Like, you know, punching and kicking and defending against <laughs> knives and guns and whatever it is it's being thrown at her. You feel, uh, as, a, as a woman or someone who's not sporty or fit, you feel a little bit better. If she can do it, then, then maybe I can do it. Um, which is different if it's like a huge, huge instructor guy in front. Like, of course, like he can win in a fight. Of course he's going to win. Um, so... So that's kind of why I stuck with it, is I thought it was important for someone like me to be teaching self-defense to show that it's it's good for everyone. Because Krav Maga is a very practical self-defense system. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't mm-hmm. rely on only strength or speed. Not everybody has yeah. that. Um, it really relies on like your natural um, instincts. We just kind of train your instincts to be better so you can recognize danger, you can um, escape faster, uh, you cannot hurt yourself. Uh, and things like that. So, so that's, that's kind of why Krabaga was, was interesting to me.
0: Nice, nice. Did, did that help to uh, uh, inspire the Kung Fu clicker?
2: <laughs> oh, well, they actually had to tell me to back off because, so, that, so again, the teams are independent, right? So they yeah, have their yeah. own designer and stuff. Uh, and they, they, we were working with pickpock games from New Zealand, they're fantastic so I, I didn't really have any jurisdiction over over, you know, what was going on over there <laughs> but, you know, if they, they would have a Muay Thai because I did Muay Thai also for a little bit and then, so, they would have a Muay Thai character and I'm like, y- you know, the front foot has to be, like, facing this to, like, you, the, you have to kind of fix the knee and they're like, Luna, nobody's gonna care let it go <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be accurate to the the dot in your phone. I'm yeah, like, yeah. yeah, but you know, like he's holding the pad wrong. It should be like, so yeah. Um, so <laughs> I had to, I had to take some liberties over there. It might not yeah, be entirely yeah. accurate, but that's okay.
0: That's super interesting. And 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 how did you get into doing? I'm not sure what they call this, but uh, professional jump rope, jump roping, jump rope. Oh,
2: yeah. I'm I'm not a professional, to be clear. uh so so jump rope is my pandemic coping mechanism. It's some people bake and some people yep, yep. have plants. I killed all the plants, almost all the plants <laughs> that I got last year. Um, but jump rope I picked up just because I wanted to stay fit. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't know that it's a. it was a sport. Like I had no idea. It's a whole, there's a freestyle jump rope, which is what I'm doing now, which is where you do a bunch of tricks with a rope. So it's not just for cardio, but, like, you can throw the rope and, like, like, do all these cool crosses and stuff and combos to music. And I I really like it because it's super fun. And it's also the only reason I can go outside because we've been locked <laughs> locked down since March of last year. Uh, and I live in a tiny condo with my husband and my cat. Like, there's really no space. Like, if I, I can walk 10 steps from the bed to my computer and that's that's my day (laughs) you know so jump rope lets me go to the park and 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 exercise and see sunlight and then have fun to music and and so that's why I like it
0: yeah well super cool yeah Yeah. maybe just to I guess we'll we'll end it on a a question we always end all our podcasts on one question is what would be your advice you know for for a young uh, person who's maybe just starting out in uh, and wants to be a game designer or join the gaming industry yeah
2: well, just like what I said earlier, the best way to, to learn how to make a game is to just make one. And what's great about gaming is you can actually make one by yourself. So there are game engines that you can use. Um, there are like asset packs that you can buy off the Unity Asset Store, or some are free. So you mm-hmm. could actually code and animate and design your own game with no real experience. You just have to study a little bit, but there's so many tutorials and and things that you can take. Uh, and just make a game, show your friends, uh, get their feedback, because that's super important. Uh, and and see if people like it and just keep doing that over and over. You can upload your own games to the Play Store, the Google Play Store, it's much easier than the Apple Store to do that. Uh, you can join game jams as well, Then you can do it from your house where for a weekend, you just make a game with a bunch of other people with the same theme and you could win prizes. Uh, so there are so many ways for you to make a game now. And when mm-hmm. the world opens up again, these game jams will be in person. So you could go meet developers from your area. You can go to game conferences um, and just learn. But really the best way to get into the industry is to build your own portfolio. Even if the game suck. just make make a bunch, get the experience before you go apply somewhere.
0: Love it, love it. Yeah. And and just to wrap it up, uh I guess in the industry you are someone people look up to, I guess, in the gaming industry and as a female as well. And but for yourself, who who inspires you and who do you look up to?
2: Yeah. Oh wow. Um well I I have a bunch of mentors that helped me when I started Altitude and I still look up to them um i won't name all of them um mm-hmm. but one person for example is ronnie del carmen who is my friend from pixar he uh wow he co-directed inside out oh um, wow oh my god yeah right oh <laughs> oh
0: my god i love that show So yes. I, I, at,
2: I actually got to go to pixar uh, years later and and i realized i would never would have been able to work there because you have to be able to draw to work in pixar <laughs> and I, yeah, i'm like yeah i can't draw i don't know why i thought i could get into pixar um but but he is is one of my heroes and he knows this so if he hears this is totally fine um just because he's a filipino american he started working here in advertising and then moved to the u.s and now is just directing films and he actually has a uh, He's going to make an animated film for Netflix as well. I think that was the big the most recent announcement Wow, but he gave me a lot of advice on how to handle a creative team um and 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 how to set up the company in a way that that people could be creative on their own and make their own mistakes. but at the same time, as a creative director, what can I do to 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 help these people along and so people like that i I have several. Uh, that 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 I admire and look up to, and I'm very grateful that I actually got to meet them and know them, and in theory could reach out if I needed um, if I needed help. So yeah, he's he's one of those, definitely up there.
0: If you like what you heard, please help us subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know what you think, and tell us who else you want on the pod.
1: You can go to risepeoplepodcast.com where you can find every episode of this podcast complete with transcripts and show notes. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week.